uh, all of you. We received word last Sunday that my grandmother had passed away, and I love my grandmother very much. We had a great relationship. I spent summers with my grandparents growing up, and uh, she was uh, 100 years old. She'd lived a long life. She knew the Lord, and so we were sad for her to go, but she'd been asking over the last year, every time I saw her, pray I get to go to heaven soon. She'd say, Stephen, don't you ever live this long, okay? And so it was one of those bittersweet times. You know, Lisa put it best. She said it was a tearless funeral. And uh, we knew that her time was near, so when we went to Lancaster, we're about a couple hours closer to Colorado where my grandmother lived. Uh, there, we had a bag packed, and so we headed out Sunday night after church in Lancaster and went to Colorado, and we had an opportunity to be a part of the service there. And uh, so we're grateful for my grandmother's testimony, her legacy of faith, and uh, glad to be uh, back here with you today. Uh, I was glad to know that last week our teenagers went to camp, and uh, camp is such an important, important time in the life of a teenager, you know. Uh, I encourage every, every parent of teenage kids and junior age kids, send them to camp. And uh, I know there's a cost associated with it. Lisa and I put our kids to camp every year, and we paid for that every year. And it's tough when there's two in a camp, but good things happen. And uh, this year, I know of the group that went tonight, we're going to have a, a video recap of what happened at camp. We'll hear a little bit more, but I was delighted to hear initially that there were three in our group that trusted Jesus as their Savior. There were, yeah, we'll clap for that, salvations. Um, there were five others that just weren't sure and got the matter settled. So all in all, eight kids went to camp not knowing for sure. They came home knowing for sure. And there were 22 young people that dedicated to give their lives to serve Jesus Christ. And so I'm very grateful for that. All the kids made it to camp and made it home. Our bus, however, did not. Our bus is still in Riverside County somewhere. So some of you parents had to pitch in and uh, drive them. And, uh, you know, someone said, we really should get a new bus. And I thought, that's the same kind of person who'd get aggravated if we had a special offering for a new bus all right so we do the best we can and, and what would youth camp be if there wasn't one breakdown in this in the span of your teen years you know but uh, I'm very grateful for our young people and, and JJ said they just had a great attitude and and uh, so forth so I am glad for that and uh, I wanted to mention this I know some of you gave to sponsor young people and to help some kids go that wouldn't otherwise be able to go your labor was not in vain in the Lord God used that and I know that every life that was represented in that camp, a difference was made. And so for those of you that had a heart to do that, God bless you for that. And uh, I know that the reward will be an eternal, an eternal one. If you would take your Bibles today and join me in turning to the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be today. And we're finishing up this series, Staycation. Today will be our last day in that, and of course next week we're coming into a great time where we're going to have an emphasis on, on patriotism as we get into the 4th of July weekend. I'm excited for that. My friend General Tykert will be with us. Uh, he's an Air Force General. This guy's had an amazing career, was a commanding uh, officer at Andrews. He's now at Edwards Air Force Base where the space shuttle lands sometimes, and he's got a great testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, he, he, uh, I, I've met a lot of people that went to great colleges, and honestly, they didn't have much sense at all. But this guy, he uh, uh, graduated uh, from MIT and Stanford, and he's got a mind that's just exceptional. And uh, I know he's going to be a blessing to you next week. So I want all of you to be in your place next week and bring somebody with you, because I believe as, as he shares his testimony with us, that it will resonate with people. Uh, how many of you guys in this room right now are active duty military? Good, good. Hold them up. Be proud. Good night. All right. Good, good, good. Clapping for the military. All right. 
I know he's an Air Force guy, all right, but I want to encourage you to bring a friend. You, you've got to do something to get a couple stars on, on your lapel. So this guy is going to encourage whoever comes. And so if you guys would bring a friend, uh, I know that they would be helped by that. And so today we're coming to a conclusion on our staycation series. And, and the big idea in this series has been the fact that you can't always get away from every problem you're going through. But it's possible to stay in the midst of that problem and still have some of the peace that you might have gotten on a vacation if you go through it God's way. And I'm very excited for what I'm going to be teaching today. I'll tell you up front what I'll be sharing with you this morning. Uh, it, it may be a bit inspirational, but not primarily. It will be more informational and this may be one of the most practical messages I'll bring all year. It's going to be nuts and bolts. I'm going to teach it. We're going to go through it together. And with all due respect, I know the content you're going to receive. It's solid. And what you get out of what we cover today to a large degree will be up to you. My desire, my aim, my goal, my prayer is that each of us today would take the principles we're going to cover, apply them to our lives, and be better for it. I will not shock one person today with my theological knowledge or expertise. It's just not that kind of a study today. But we're going to deal with a topic that consumes so much of our time. We're going to deal today with our relationship to money. And all of us deals with money all of the time. If you were to add up all the time you spend making money and thinking about money and spending money, you'd have to conclude that it's just a massive part of our lives. There's just no way around it. Money is a huge topic. Money, I want you to know today, is a spiritual issue. We think, well, pastor, just stick to the Bible. Well, the fact of the matter is finances and how we deal with money, it's found from one end of the Bible to the other. It is so important. Jesus in Luke 16 and verse 11 said this. He said, if therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? We find a contrast. Unrighteous mammons dealing with money, material possessions. And then we, we find the Lord mentions true riches. That's the contrast, spiritual things. And the Lord says that how we handle, think about, deal with finances, it has a bearing on our spiritual lives. It's connected to spiritual growth. So before we jump into this study, I want you to know that I, I enjoy being a pastor. I love teaching the Word. I do study the Bible. Uh, I read. Uh, I, I want to know what it is that God has said. Someone once asked me after a service, where do you get your messages? And I said, from the Bible. <laughs> I have nothing to say of my own. It's only of value in this context if it's coming from the Word of, the God, uh, from the word of God. I, I get my messages from the Bible, and I want to dig deep in the Word of God because that's what God's called me to do, and I'm to feed the flock of God. And for, day, for today's message, I read some things other than the Word of God. I read from uh, authors like Barnett and Ramsey and Warren and others who are experts on the field of our financial lives. Incidentally, I want to share with you that to this time in my life, the greatest single book I've ever read on the topic of finances is the Bible. No one has yet said anything to me that's greater than what it is that God has said, but I've tried to read widely and broadly, and I've, I've taken what I've learned, and I'm boiling it down today to what I'm going to call the five forget-me-nots for financial freedom. 
the five forget-me-nots for financial freedom. In this last message in our series, we're going to see the formula for financial freedom that we get in the Word of God. And I'm convinced if we practice these powerful principles that we'll learn today, it will add to our lives in ways that are far more important than just financially. We can literally grow in peace. And so if you're able, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we look to God's Word today. How many of you know finances touches every area of your life? Every area. If we can get squared away in this area, the ripple effect, it's going to help us everywhere else. My grandmother, 100 years old, 100, um, I loved her dearly. When I heard she went to heaven, uh, I was sad and happy and all the emotions that come when you get news like that. Everything that fills your heart. And when that subsided, the first thing that came to my mind is, that's going to require a trip. It's going to require a hotel room coming and going. And meals. Now, I don't think you guys would think less of me for having said that. I love my grandmother. I'm thankful for her. But dealing with something like that, there were financial ramifications. It touches every part of our life in every moment of our life. And God was so kind to give us a great formula for financial freedom in our lives. We're going to read just one verse to get us started today. I'm going to share many verses uh, in this message. And uh, I'd encourage all of you to take diligent notes. Uh, notes. I'm going to mention a lot of things that aren't in the handout you received. Write it in the margins. If you're a young couple here today, uh, I'm telling you, this is the number one thing couples fight over. So we might as well get this down now. It'll give you great peace, not just in your finances, but even in your, in your marriage. We're going to look today to get started. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. No man can serve two masters. Now I want you to look here for a moment. Um, that verse they've said is proof against polygamy, having more than one wife, right? You can only serve one master at a time. I don't know that's the best proof text for, for not being in a polygamous relationship. But no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Now that word mammon is an old word for money. The Lord Jesus Christ here says, look, you can't serve two masters. You can't live for two purposes. He said, you're either going to serve God or you're going to serve money. You've got to pick one. And, and Jesus says in this verse, I want you to lift just the last couple words there. Serve God. Serve God. And I want us to think on this together this morning. Our Father, thank you for this day, the privilege we have to learn and I would ask you, Lord, to uh, open our hearts, different type of a study today. Uh, we're not necessarily tearing apart a single passage, but we're going to find principles throughout the word that can help us. God, may we be uh, just eager to receive this so that we can be diligent in this spiritual, important, vital part of our lives. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Years ago, Lisa and I had an opportunity to talk with someone who's a nutritionist, and she set me up on, a, on an eating plan, and uh, I'm pretty much a creature of habit, so I eat the same thing every day at the same time. Uh, it starts at 7.30, some of you guys have heard this, protein shake, 7.30, 10 o'clock, Greek yogurt, uh, 1 o'clock, two eggs and an apple, hard-boiled eggs and an apple. And uh, then, then uh, at 4 o'clock, I'll have carrots, and, and I get two tablespoons of peanut butter. Can I get an amen for peanut butter? 
it's just such a blessing at that time. And, and then uh, uh, at 7, we'll have a reasonable dinner. And uh, now I do that 90% of the time. Every now and then I'll, I'll uh, have an opportunity where I can treat myself. But I, I eat pretty clean, and I eat regularly, and I eat the same thing just because I don't really mind that. I'm kind of a creature of habit. But every now and then I sense a prompting from the Lord, an unction from the Spirit to eat cookies. Can I get another Amen. There's just something about cookies, and I prefer when they're soft, and, and every now and then I'll just kind of get to thinking, man, I could really use some cookies right now. And uh, a while ago, Lisa and I were at home, and I was having one of these promptings from the Lord in regards to cookies, and so I said, hey, I need some cookies. She said, we have no cookies, and uh, she's discovered if we keep junk food in the house, normally I'll root it out and eat it, so uh, no cookies. And uh, so, uh, you know, you can make cookies too. You can buy them in the store, but also you can get ingredients and make them. And so we started looking around, and we found out we had almost all of the ingredients to make cookies. I said, listen, let's just go for it. Just throw what we got in there. We'll stir it up, and we'll hope for the best. And I want you to know what turned out, it was not good, all right? Uh, most of the ingredients were, were not good enough. I, I went into that kind of like the cookie monster, and when the cookies failed, I just turned into a monster. I was totally bummed out. All that work and no payoff. Friends, I want you to know there are some formulas in life that must be completely followed if we want the best result. And when it comes to our financial lives, God has laid out that formula. Now, I am aware that I'm speaking to a group today. If someone were to look at this group, analyze you, analyze what I'm doing, they would, they would say today that I'm speaking to a general audience, a general audience. Uh, that means that some are married, some are single, some are young, some are older, some are uh, in a middle stage of life. I'm speaking to a general audience. And so, of necessity, I'll generally share some generalized truths. But I want you to know today that when it comes to the bedrock of these principles, none of us are exempt from them. <laughs> none of us can say, that's a great verse, but that one's not really for me. I want you to know that God's word applies to us all. And Jesus could not have been clearer in the verse we read together that we can serve money or we can serve God, but we cannot serve both. And let me tell you today, Jesus is a great leader. He's a great master. He's a great Lord. And money is a horrible master that leaves you perpetually unsatisfied. The best life is the blessed life. And a blessed life comes from choosing to serve Jesus Christ. I'm going to share a lot of verses, as I said, from the Bible, but there really is a starting point when it comes to wrapping our minds around our financial lives. So the first forget-me-not is this. Number one, don't forget the source. If someone were to come to me and say, Pastor, I, I want some counsel when it comes to finances, I'd say, well, here's the first principle you've got to get, the first ingredient, the first element. Don't forget the source when it comes to your finances. Now, when making cookies, as I said earlier, the, the order that you put things in the bowl isn't of most importance. You just throw it all in there and you stir it up. But when it comes to these financial principles, the order is exceedingly important. I'm telling you, if you have any interest in what it is that God has to say about our lives in relationship to our finances, the very first ingredient we've got to add into our lives is, is an understanding of what the source for our finances are. The reason we so often stress over our financial issues is that we forget the source of it all. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 11 and verse 36. He said, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. 
He's literally teaching us here that, that all the things we need in life to do what God has given us to do, they are of Him. Paul is saying He's the source of what we need in life. And there's a reason that everything comes from God. It's because God owns everything. Everything. In Psalm 50 and verse 10, the Bible says, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. God says, listen, here's where your understanding of financial matters needs to begin. God says, it's mine. I own it all. And I'm your source. I give to you that which you need. God in his grace, he allows us and enables us to work so that we can be productive and effective in the course of our lives. I love the way it's written in Deuteronomy 8. The Bible says, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. May we never forget that. The intellect required to get a job and hold down a job and be creative and productive, that intellect comes from God. The, the strength, the, the, the vitality necessary to work, that comes from God. It is God that gives the power to get wealth. So God would say, when it comes to wealth, the first forget-me-not is me. Let me share with you why this is so important. If you find your source in a paycheck, or if you find your security in your savings, you're always going to be nervous in the course of life. Because paychecks aren't guaranteed. And savings has a way of being spent in time of need. Solomon one time wrote in Proverbs 23, he said, For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. I don't know if that's why on our, our dollar bill the government chose to put a picture of an eagle on there, but the next time you look at a dollar bill and see that eagle, just remember what the Bible says about money. It's like an eagle. eagle. It, it can get wings and it can fly away. And I'm sharing this foundation with you because we have a source that's always faithful. He doesn't fly away. He's, he's a, a, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And when we live life trusting in money, we've always got to be nervous. But when we live life trusting in God who is our source, our provider, then we can rest in Him. So where does good financial health begin? It has to begin with understanding our source. So don't forget the source. Here's the second uh, forget-me-not. Number two, don't forget to honor God first. First. Now, there's no greater test to see if we are remembering our source than asking ourselves, am I honoring God first? We often refer to this as the principle of the tithe, and worshiping God in the tithe, it honors the Lord. It honors Him. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, the Bible says, honor the Lord. And we can wonder, all right, well, how do I honor the Lord? Honor the Lord, it says, with thy substance, with your stuff, with your finances. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Increase refers to income. First fruits in an agricultural society, the Bible's saying, hey, with the first part of your income, give to God, that is how you honor the Lord. And the Bible says, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall shall burst out with new wine. And God is teaching us that as we honor Him in faith, that He will honor our faith in Him. As we honor Him in faith, He will honor our faith in Him. Now in January, I taught an entire message on this point, so I'm not going to belabor it again today. 
But just to serve as a reminder when it comes to not forgetting to honor the Lord first, I, I want to share four thoughts that can help us in this area. First, as we think of this principle of the tithe, we see the promise of tithing. And we just saw it in those verses. God said, in essence, hey, I'll take care of you. As you honor me first, uh, the promise I give to you is I will take care of you. So shall your barns be filled with plenty and your presses shall burst out with new wine. That's God's way of saying, I've got you. So first, we see the promise of tithing. Second, we see the purpose of tithing. The Bible in Deuteronomy 14 says this, that thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. You see, uh, that, that term fear, it, I mean, it can invoke a, the visceral response of fear, but, but it's not just a fear in the sense that I'm scared of God. It's, it's that awesome, holy respect that allows us to elevate the Lord to his rightful position of preeminence in our lives. And, and as we give to the Lord first, as we honor him first, th there's a purpose. It helps us to see him for who he is and honor him for who he is. And when we see the Lord for who he is, we're going to be grateful Giving truly is a way to say thank you, Lord, for what you have given me, for what I have. And God, this is also a down payment on, on a trust that I have in you that you're going to provide for me in the future. And so, God, this offering is a way of acknowledging you in that way. Third thought, we see the place of tithing. In Malachi 3, the Bible says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now, the storehouse was their place of worship. I developed this much more back in January. The storehouse in the Old Testament time was the temple. Uh, we're living in the New Testament day. Today we worship in places and communities, if you would, that we call the church. But there was a place, and it was the place of worship. Giving to others is great. That's not tithing to the Lord. It's good to give to others. I'd encourage you to be generous to others. But that's different than honoring the Lord with our first fruits. It's good to give to uh, charitable organizations and nonprofits. Uh, but that's not tithing. Even, even paying a Christian school bill, some have said, does that count as a tithe? No, if, if you feel led to do that, have a blast. But when it comes to tithing, there is a place in which that's done. And it's the place where we gather to worship the Lord. Fourth, we see here the period or the wind, uh, wind of our tithe. In 1 Corinthians 16, the Bible says, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. That verse was referring to an offering, but the first day of the week, that's Sunday. Lay by him in store. What's the store? That's the storehouse. So the Bible says, as you begin your week and you worship God, let the church be a place where you come and you don't forget to honor God first. I want you to notice the expression. The Bible says, lay by him in store. The idea is that there's a thoughtfulness on our part where we're prepared when it comes to giving to God. I'm not talking about pressure today. And, and by the way, there's more than two points in this message. This isn't all we're talking about. But if we're going to look at the Bible and say, how do I handle my finances? This is a big part of it. And uh, I, I want you to know it's important for us as Christians that we say, you know, I want to honor God in this way, and I'm going to be thoughtful enough to see that on the first day of the week, uh, on the place where I worship God, I want to give to Him. Lisa and I have found the very easiest way for us to do this in this day in which we're living is through our online giving. 
I remember when our church got a, a website with a portal where you can give, people started giving, and I thought, I just like writing that check and putting it in the offering plate, something about that. But man, we've come to the point where uh, we've said this is a real good thing. Last Sunday, Lisa and I were not here. We were worshiping at another church. But even though we were gone because we did that, we were able to worship God here in our local church. And I'm grateful for that. You see, what setting it up like that does, it helps us do what we want to do. And we just made the decision, we're going to be consistent in our giving. We're not afraid of the fact that it happens every week. That, that's the plan. And that may be a good way for you to uh, be faithful and consistent when it comes to your giving to the Lord. And when we nail these first two principles I've talked about down, it allows everything else I'm going to talk about today to come along in, in a much easier way. So we're not to forget the source, which is God. We're not to forget to honor God first. By the way, if the sermon ended now, aren't those two great points? They're great ones, but it leads us to the third point today. Number three, don't forget to save money faithfully. Save money faithfully. Now listen, listen up. This is the kind of message you need to get in on. Now there are times where I feel like, boy, if I'm boring, I'll feel bad today. But I, I do want to say, as much as I love you guys, if you're bored with this message, it says more about you than my delivery of a message today. We're dealing with something so important in life. And I just shared with you this third forget-me-not. Don't forget to save money faithfully. You need to hear that. I need to hear that. Listen to how God addresses this matter in Proverbs 21. He says, there is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise. But a foolish man spendeth it up. So in other words, in a wise person's home, uh, there, there's a treasure that's desirable and, and there's oil, there's provision. And in the foolish person's home, they just spend all they have. Now, I'm not sure that we could call our approach to saving money an IQ test, but kind of in God's economy it is. Because he gives us a contrast here. There's the foolish and the wise. And the wise person's trying to be diligent, to set aside. And the foolish person, every dollar that comes in, it goes right back out. They just spend it. What's interesting about this point is that for those of you who save, you're thinking, that's a good point, Pastor. I'm glad you said that one. Bear down on that one. Save. Because if you're a saver, you know the peace it brings to your life. You know it. And there are others right now who are thinking, there are probably some that aren't thinking, but there are others that are thinking, um, you know, I can't afford to tithe. Sometimes people will say, I can't afford to honor the Lord first. And I would say, you can. If you start with the first principle, which he's our source, the second principle is pretty easy. And the same way I could say, yes, you can honor the Lord first, I would say this. You can save. You can save. It has to be a priority. Now, if you're still my friend, say Amen. You say, Pastor, you're talking about money. You've just gone from preaching to meddling. All right, well, I'm going to wade even a little deeper into your life. I think our culture has lost sight of the value of saving for an emergency and saving for things like retirement. According to a report from the Federal Reserve, 40% of Americans don't have $400 set aside in the event of an emergency. Now, how many of you would imagine at some point in the course of your life you will have an emergency? 40% of Americans don't have $400 set aside for an emergency. I read recently that the typical Japanese worker sets aside 22% of their income. The typical European worker sets aside 18% of their income. The typical American spends 1% more than they earn 
in their income. Now, before we're too hard on the American people, the geniuses we've elected to send to Washington spend $1.75 for every dollar they take from you. So as simple as this is, it's like, well, this is mathematics, Pastor. Tell us something we don't know. This is something that we collectively don't know. It's important that we save money faithfully. And, and that approach, it really keeps us working for money rather than getting in a position where our money can start working for us by way of, of gaining interest. In fact, a good financial advisor will tell you to save your money in various places. They'll call that diversification. Well, that idea wasn't original to some financial consultant. It's God that taught us that. In Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 2, the Bible says, Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. And I could go in depth on that verse, but let me just use an expression we all know that is the point of that verse. Don't put all your eggs in one basket because you don't know what's going to happen next. The number one reason Americans give for not saving is they say we cannot afford it. Now, I know that times are tough for many, and I told you I'm speaking generally today. But it may be if you looked at your expenses, you'd identify some areas in which you could carve out for some savings. It's possible. Um, it might be that that coffee we have to have every morning, we just make it at home. I, I probably could go out to lunch every day if, if I chose to do that, but I just pack it and bring it in. Somebody could say I'm cheap. No, I'm frugal. I'd rather get the call of my grandmother's passing and know that there's going to be no problem getting that hotel coming and going and the meals that those few days would, would require because there's been a little something. So I can't tell you the peace it brings. The peace it brings, and it's brought about by just making sure that you're, you're saving a, as you go. Think of that. Uh, Lisa and I made a decision years ago. We weren't going to finance a car. We'd been through that. We did the math. The bank wins every time. So that meant we drove an ugly car longer than we wanted to. We drove the wheels off of some others, and now we're able to buy them, and I still make a car payment every month. You say, oh, you're making a car? Yeah, to myself. Setting it aside. So when the time comes where it's like, all right, we have to get another one, uh, th then rather than the bank making that interest, we've been paying ourselves. It's, it's just a better way to go. And sometimes we've got to step back and say, you know, I don't, I don't need that car right now. This one will get me going. I don't have to spend that money there uh, or there. Uh, we, we are to give to God first. We're to give to ourselves second. That's savings. Our bills come third. We give to God first, we give to ourselves second, and then we get to our, our bills. That's going to lead us to the fourth forget-me-not today. Number four, don't forget to plan your spending. Don't forget to plan your spending. Now, most of us would refer to this as a budget, a budget. Um, since I'm meddling, and I've probably irritated everybody here already today, I want to say this. If you don't have a written-down budget that you go over every single month, you don't have a budget. It's just you've got to do it, all right? Proverbs 21.5 says this. The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness. Now, I'm going to read on, but diligent people, they're thoughtful. They're planners. 
So the thoughts of, of, of the diligent it tends only to plenteousness, but everyone that is hasty only to want. He's teaching here that people with plenty take time to think about their finances and that people who lack often they get hasty and make emotional knee-jerk decisions. How many of you have ever made a purchase that you regretted? Okay, good. Yes, very good. Uh, I've done that. I'm not a shopper. I'm a buyer, okay? Uh, last night, Lisa said, Steve, I've got to take something return to Kohl's. Can you come with me? And I said, sure. And we got there. She said, I just want to look around for a few things. So I followed her around like this the whole time, okay? I don't like shopping. When I think I need something, uh, I know what I need. And I'll walk in the store. The first employee, I'll say, I'll say, hey, where, where do you keep those? And boom, I go there, grab it off. The, I mean, I'm boom, boom, in and out. I, I don't like to shop. I'm a buyer. A couple Christmases ago, Lisa and I were down in San Diego, and we were looking at some Christmas lights and walking, and the family was there, and we walked in a store. I mean, literally, it's like December 23rd or something, and we walked in the store, and, and as we walked in, uh, the Shekinah glory of God shone down, and, and I heard uh, angelic uh, music, and the light shined right on a pair of shoes. And uh, I'm not a shopper, but those shoes, they called my name. And, and uh, I thought, I'm getting them. So I just went over, I got them, and uh, I paid for them. And Lisa was so upset with me. I mean, honestly, it was like disproportionate to what I had done. And I couldn't get it until Christmas morning when I opened a Christmas gift from Lisa. And it was shoes that looked almost exactly like the ones I just bought. You know, sometimes we rush ahead and we get hasty, and, and haste can lead to waste. There are some things that every one of us need to know if we're going to be thoughtful in our spending. I don't know if this is provided in your notes, but it might be good for you to jot these things down. What is it that we must know if we're going to do well with our finances? Here's the first thing you need to know, what we own. What do you have right now that's actually yours? So I got a car, not if you're paying on it. Nope, that belongs to the bank. What do you own? You've got to know what you own. Number two, you've got to know what you earn. What do you earn? Most Americans don't really know what they earn. They know what their paycheck is. They've never stopped to figure out how much are they uh, actually giving the government. You, you need to know that whole situation, what you own, what you earn, and then number three, what you owe. You've got to know how much do I, do I actually owe to other people. And then fourth, you've got to know where your money goes. Own, earn, owe, and goes. And when you know those things, what happens is you then have the tools to get together and build a budget that addresses your specific needs. Years ago, Lisa and I took a financial course together, and uh, the teacher, uh, Dave Ramsey, he said most married couples, uh, they fight more about money than anything else. They fight about money all month long, and he said if you learn to make a budget, you only have to fight about money once a month that way. And uh, that's how it works with me and Lisa. We have a standing date. The last Tuesday of the month, we get together, and uh, we sit down, and we duke it out. And she's a better negotiator than me, so she's always trying to get me up on stuff, you know, and I'm the cheap guy. And so, uh, but we go through that process, and it's been so helpful. 86% of couples that get married today are in debt the first day of their lives that they're married together. Think of that. It can be a hurtful thing. And we know that debt is... A leading cause of, of divorce, the conflict that it brings. It's just a recipe for disaster if we don't get a plan and, and stick with it. A good budget includes savings. It includes monthly expenses. It includes repayment of debts. And it includes prepayment towards upcoming expenses. Now, obviously, I'm not going into this in depth. Um, but I would say this. I mentioned a moment ago that Lisa and I went to a financial seminar years ago our church hosted it we went as participants not as leaders and we sat in chairs and we took notes and we practiced what it is we learned 
and uh, it's called Financial Peace, and our church offers this course several times a year, and it's always funny to me. Those of you that know what I'm talking about, you're like, this is solid gold today. This is fantastic. I hope everybody's getting this, and then there are others. You just haven't quite come to that place in your life. If I could mandate that everyone that hasn't been to a financial seminar of some kind go, I would. And if you're here today, and especially if you're a, a married couple and finances is a topic of conversation, do yourself a favor. Be a part of one of these times where you can learn all you need to know about finances and managing those. Solomon in Proverbs 11 said this, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And I believe that many people fall when it comes to their financial lives because they've never taken advantage of counselors that understand things perhaps more than they do. And we would all be very wise to learn all we can about money and how it works. Some of these people we call the fat cats, listen, they know some stuff the rest of us don't know. Now, I know they may have some perks. Some of them were born with a silver spoon in their mouth, but they've understood the beauty of interest and compounding interest and not paying interest on loans, and we would do well to learn. God made it clear that those who work, God made it clear that those who work hard, they think through their financial lives, and they live within their means that they're going to do well when it comes to money. We must remember to plan our spending by preparing a budget that leads me to the final forget-me-not I'll share with you today. Don't forget to enjoy what you have. You know, there's a perverse idea that some have had, and it's if you have nice things, you must have done something wrong. We see that in our culture today, don't we? There's a, a war. Uh, socialism's the uh, kind of the popular talking point today and and that always divides the haves and the have-nots and that division's always existed but but many with that frame of reference would say if you've been successful in, in any way you probably did something wrong and I'm not denying there are those that have done wrong things but most people I've met in my lifetime who've had a measure of, of uh, success they did some things right they did some good things. They were diligent. Solomon in Ecclesiastes 5 wrote this, Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. God literally says, hey, as you put these principles of work in your life, there are going to be some blessings, some gifts, if you would. And he said, I want you to enjoy these, rejoice in these. Paul in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17 said, charge them that are rich in this world that they not be high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Now, I, I've, I've talked a lot about the first half of that verse. Those that are rich in this world, that's all of us compared to the rest of the world. We're rich in this world so we shouldn't be high-minded we shouldn't be arrogant about that nor should we trust in our riches but we can't leave out the end of that verse that says you know all these things we have God's given us these so that we can richly enjoy them enjoy them we're not to become proud but it's good to be thankful and enjoy what you have and this is important when it comes to our financial lives because if we have the thought that we have to get some new thing to enjoy life, we're always going to be behind. I, I love California. I just love it. But we are in kind of the mecca of materialism 
when I was in Colorado for my grandmother's funeral this week, it just, it's just different, man. It's just, if you've got Wranglers and boots that still have some, some tread, uh, you're good to go. It's nice. It's, it's, it's different here. I'm not saying everything here is better or everything there is worse. That's not what I'm saying. But I, I love where we live. But one of the pitfalls in a materialistic society like us is there's a lot more shiny objects and there's a lot more people around to look to. And we can think, ooh, if I had that, I'd really be happy. No, you'd be unhappy with that too, especially if you had the payment to go along with it. Sometimes rather than enjoying what God has already given to us, we get greedy and we make impulsive decisions that digs us deeper into a hole of debt. Paul in Philippians 4 said this in verse 11. He said, I have learned, and what I'm talking about is something we learn. He said, I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Content. Now, I was thinking about this, and just for fun, I looked up a word that people throw around a lot. I looked up the word prosperity. And uh, I thought, well, that would probably be a good thing to have a good understanding of what that word means. I looked prosperity up, it means to be prosperous. I thought, well, that is totally not helpful at all, okay? And uh, so I thought, well, I should probably look up prosperous then. Let me define prosperous for you. If you're still listening, say amen. amen. Prosperous, having more than you need. And most of us do. We have a roof over our head, we have food to eat. I wonder, when's the last time we've said, God, you've been so incredibly good to me. Thank you. And you've met my needs and beyond. I, I, I've already eaten today, and there's still food in the pantry. God, you've been, you've been good to me. Now, the definition didn't say how much more uh, th than our need is, but, but being prosperous means you have more than you need and we may not have all of our wants but most of us have our needs met and it's good to want to work and earn but it is also healthy to come to a place in our lives where we say god you've just blessed me and i'm very thankful for who you are and what you've done somebody could say well you know that was a pretty simple sermon today and it wasn't even very spiritual and i would say this was as spiritual as john three sixteen. You don't think God's interested in how you live your life? And if the time we spend making money, thinking about money, and spending money is such a huge part of who we are, you don't think that that's of value as well? I'm telling you today that how we handle money is a spiritual matter, and how we handle money is a determiner of what else God chooses to do through us. Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. God doesn't need our money, but he allows it to serve as a testing ground in our lives. He says, where's your heart? In Luke 16, 10, Jesus said this, He that is faithful in that which is least, and he was actually referring there to our financial lives, uh, is faithful also in much. He was referring there to the spiritual part of life. He said they're, they're together. He that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. The, the Lord's saying, in essence, if a guy can't balance his checkbook, pay his bills, and, and, and learn to do enough math to understand that if our outgo exceeds our income, our upkeep will be our downfall, God says if someone can't do that, they're going to have a hard time doing these things. So finances is, is a great barometer of where we are in our spiritual lives i've asked god many 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 times over the years to help me be the kind of pastor that people could look back on and say you know i'm glad he was in my life 
I know it's not all about me. I'm just saying that's my prayer. I want to be the kind of pastor that, that people, at a point in their life, they can look back and say, you know, he said some things that were helpful for me. Um, that means that I hope to teach the Bible. I've taught through the majority of the books of the Bible, verse by verse by verse. I want to rightly divide the Word of God. That's what I'm told to do. I want to teach the whole counsel of God. That's what I want to do. I want to teach the Bible. More than that, I want to teach you how you can personally learn from the Bible. I'm not the greatest preacher, but if I were, one great sermon a week's inadequate. None of us could eat one meal a week and feel good physically uh, for, for that time. And spiritually speaking, man, we need the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. But I, I hope to teach you to grow to the point spiritually where you say, you know, I need to get in the Word for myself. So I want to teach you the Bible, and then I want to teach you how you can learn from the Bible. I want to teach you how to pray, how to witness, how to love, how to forgive, how to serve. And even in an area like our finances, I hope to see you grow, to fully know the joy and blessing of living by faith in our financial lives. And it doesn't matter if Warren Buffett's in the room or the poorest person in the world's in the room. These principles work for every one of us. I hope we'll apply them. Our Father, we're thankful that you love us enough to, throughout your word, give us insights that can help us when it comes to our financial lives. We thank you that there's a formula for financial freedom. And God, I pray I would have encouraged some who are on this path of seeking to be good managers of their finances. Lord, I pray I would have aggravated some. I hope, I hope there, there are some with, with unnecessary credit card debt or, or payments for this or that. Lord, I hope maybe they've been aggravated enough to say, I'm going to look into this. How much is the bank defeating me by? And, and God, I pray this might be a time of contemplation, some diligence, thinking through these things so that we make good decisions. And God, we know that all of this is a spiritual matter. It's a matter of faith, understanding it all belongs to you. It all comes from you. We're to honor you with it. And we're to be good managers so that you can continue to work through other aspects of our lives. Help us, we pray. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I said as we started, I said it in the middle and I'll say it now, this was a very different message. But it was a thoroughly biblical message that I'm so thankful I was able to bring. <laughs>